Welcome to the inaugural episode of Consensus on Reality. This is Dave and Ben. Um, today we're here to discuss um, why we're starting a podcast um, at this point in time when there might be a lot of them out there. Um, and I think uh, we're going to talk about some of our influences in this field of, um, broadly speaking, phenomena, uh, the occult, and um, high strangeness. And um, I think we're going to talk a little bit about our objectives in discussing the unknown, or in other words, um, the unprovable. So I guess we could start with um, Ben, if you could maybe talk a little bit about what got you interested in this field, um, collecting so many books and material of this stuff. All right. So let's see. Um, I I was always interested in this kind of thing, but I think it sort of uh, (laughs) bloomed when I was uh, trying to write a book about uh, the connection between uh, poetry and uh, UFO experiences. And um, I mean, before that, I had read stuff like uh, Communion by Whitley Strieber mm-hmm. and um, the Mothman Prophecies and some of the like foundational texts. But I got into like the minutiae and the sort of uh, the whole realm of it um, when I was doing that. And I guess the most influential sort of thing I found was... Uh, the work of Eugenia Macer's story, who I've kind of turned into a like a special specialization in my uh, studies of this, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's sort of, I mean, you know, there's hours of stuff I could say, but yeah, it sort of came through my my work as a writer. It sort of is. It exists in the same uh, category of thought for me. Yeah, and I would say. Um, for myself, obviously just growing up watching sci-fi films and all the sort of like weird UFO files stuff on history channel, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're just like a teenager. Yeah. Then, um, I think it really started to pick up for me when I got a job, um, where I was archiving books and I was just listening to headphones, um, for the course of like a 10 hour work day. Mm. And I just started to really dive into listening to occult texts and then listening to discussions about, you know, the meaning of of the symbolism and trying to just, you know, gain a deeper understanding of this stuff. And I think that that could lead us into um, who we're going to talk about today, which um, I think one of the most sort of big things for me was um, Cosmic Trigger by Robert yeah. Anton Wilson, um, and also the works of Manly P. Hall, Charles Fort, and John Keel, yeah. who are the figures um, I think we're going to concentrate on for today. And starting there, yeah, yeah, we could begin with Manly P. I think because that's <laughs> yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, he was kind of the like librarian of. The, like yeah, the librarian of early twentieth century uh, occultism. A lot of what we have, like what survived, I guess, has come through his books, um, which is both problematic and not. You know, all of it being channeled through one dude. Right. But, yeah, he did like an immense amount of work, just like sort of uh, filing these uh, strange things. Yeah, that idea of like the Library of Alexandria, yeah. just preserving. I get, I, it is the Western esoteric tradition, right. but um, yeah, just a wealth of information and philosophy. Um, and I think these four figures, why they're so interesting and and foundational for so many people is I think they all arrive at um, sort of creating anthologies about phenomena. Right. Um, I think because people realize so quickly when you're you get interested in this stuff you can't really pigeonhole yourself i I think that's why the nuts and bolts ufology thing Mm. just kind of dissolves so quickly or dissolves for anybody when they look at this stuff because it's like there's just 
so much uncanny um, elements to it. Right. Yeah, I think uh, the second you like read a yeah a John Keel book or even well, I mean, for a lot of people, it was uh, Jacques Vallée. Yeah, um, of course. He, I guess, is sort of like the unnamed fifth person here, but. I mean, he's a little more complicated. Maybe we'll get into him another yeah. time. Yeah, but I think we'll definitely be, it'll be a, a touchstone for sure. And anyone who's had the experiences, I think, I mean, not everyone, but most people who have had a UFO experience or any kind of similar thing, they don't necessarily come to the conclusion that they that a spaceship came down, like it, may, like it looked like it, but there's all these other weird symptoms of the encounter. Yeah, I think it it's a lot about... Um, the idea of consciousness and, of course, immaterialism, like thought forms and sort of our world being shaped by thought. And I, I, in the notes here I have mentioning um, Bishop Barclay, of course, the immaterial doctrine. And I think hmm. these people all kind of like in their different um, disciplines, uh, I think it all kind of goes back to that that idea that thought potentially... Um, is a driving force of the yeah. universe, you know, and thought is um, more so the foundation than what we understand to be the material world. And so, yeah, when we're going to talk about Manly P, of course, we got to mention the secret teachings of all ages, which is probably one book I would always recommend to anybody yeah. interested in the occult or the esoteric. Yeah. It's just like a, the perfect encyclopedia for this stuff right. I mean, just flipping through it and yeah it's reading uh, any section is just so so interesting yeah it's a great um a great intro because of it doesn't need like you don't need to read it straight through necessarily though that's a an experience too um and it's also widely available um people at who is that uh i guess it's mitch horowitz at Tarcher. Peregrine. Um, it's one, one of those uh, publishers. They keep it in print, and they keep a lot of this stuff in print, which I think is really important. Um, as far as... I mean, yeah, it's hard to beat that. As I mean, you could go right to Charles Fort and read his stuff, um, and it has a similar encyclopedic feel, but he's a little more uh, opinionated. He's sort of like... And he's a little more tongue-in-cheek almost. Right. Yeah, I think... Um going back to these four figures again they they all come from such a different perspective where manly p yeah. hall is is um you know the academic who's acquiring you know all these texts and then transcribing them and contextualizing them and mm. it's it's kind of the idea that um you know knowledge of all this information of of historical information is going to be the key to some idea of understanding or transcendence whereas Charles Fort obviously yeah and a little bit about Charles Fort for those who may not know he just he was kind of like a middling sci-fi writer um but really is known for spending much of his life inside of the New York Public Library um just gathering um information from medical journals newspapers yeah. Um, scientific journals of just anomalous things. And um, this is what became his four anthologies of the anomalous, which are Low, Wild Talents, um, New Lands, and Book of the Damned. And yeah, th- he's, he's got a lot of tongue-in-cheek, too, where he just understands that there there is just this uncanny element to the world where you get close to these things and people witness these accounts but there really is no grasp on understanding it and i think he yeah um i think yeah something that's great about having fort's work uh uh just available is that it shows that if you take like if you take enough anomalous stuff and put it together it shows that like it's not really anomalous it's sort of not that that you see patterns necessarily, which you can, but that you know the 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 world that exists that sort of goes according to I don't know rules or you know I guess they'd call it like 
the Newtonian sort of framework of yeah. a mechanistic Newtonian materialism. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the materialist universe is sort of. It's not. Uh, it doesn't explain everything, and it, it helps to have like sort of a physical uh, book that sort of represents that fact, which the sort of the collective works, uh, the collected works of uh, Fort is a nice sort of. It's like a memento mori kind of. Yeah. I don't think it would do diligence to describe it in this way, but there is a lot of um, scientific backlash, I guess I would say, where I think he's getting an early understanding that, you know, science can be its own doctrine of ideology. Um, right. And yeah. people build careers on that stuff, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, when there's things that arise that don't really fit into these tight-knit... Um, developed hypotheses then um people don't want to acknowledge that sure yeah that's like the perennial problem of lo looking into these things and trying to talk about them is uh i mean it's easier for people to let it go than to try to explain it which is what people like uh Robert Anton Wilson, um, he, like, sort of came about with the 70s, sort of, uh, like, you know, Timothy Leary kind of trippy thing, and, um, but, you know, and, yeah, these guys also sort of spanned different subcultures to an extent, although Keel and Wilson sort of overlapped, but... yeah. They, yeah, it's it's kind of funny because I think most people who know of Robert Anton Wilson would classify him as a psychonaut, you know, like yeah. and um, I think would um, qualify a lot of his work to relating to experimentation with LSD or other psychoactive psychoactive substances. Mm. Um, but it's all it also you know it is so closely related to the work of Timothy Leary. Right. And the idea of neurolinguistic programming. Hmm. Um, yeah, he was, yeah, he had a hand in a lot of that, uh, that stuff, I guess, back when the mind seemed more malleable than it does today. For, like, a time, it seemed like a time of chaos and hope or something. Yeah. They were, you know, thinking about new ways of thinking about consciousness. And it was, yeah, an alternate history might have wound us up at a different place if people had you know looked into that more seriously um though i guess leary was cia so you know, <laughs> um a grain of salt for him yeah i like timothy leary stuff but i think robert anton wilson um i like the the style of writing where it's um you know an autobiography essentially and it's he's relating recounting all these experiences but then there's also these like lofty ideas you know about something like neurolinguistic programming which is related to Timothy Leary's acid experiments um mm. in what the LA County prison so I, I should so. look I that mean, up he, yeah he did it all over the place um one he was in prison too i'm not sure yeah. <laughs> what happened there but so yeah that was some years later yeah. um from what i understand um, it was that LSD was administered to prisoners oh, in right. a sort of therapeutic yeah. um, system. And, you know, I think that, like, there wasn't a lot of um, reincarcerations after it. Um, there were some interesting results, oh. but yeah. I don't think they were going to be, you know, accepted by right. the major scientific yeah. <laughs> I mean, community. Yeah, there's all kinds of... Uh, benefits to psychedelics that were proven back then and it sort of just fell fell by the wayside um not that i'm advocating for that <laughs> yeah. uh, so one thing I, I love about robert anton wilson's stuff is is the idea of reality tunnels right and i think you could transpose that onto you know exploring any sort of um of this f phenomena you know mm -hmm. Where the idea that um, everybody sort of lives in this um, small bubble of ideology that's created by their own nervous system every day, just the sensory information that we're taking in at every moment is is like so overwhelming. 
and it creates this worldview that, you know, biologically, you know, directs you. Right. I think like his ideas were that through, um, you know, creating these processes, you could, you know, change that reality tunnel, but it's, it's something Mm -hmm. that, you know, persists every day that we don't even really notice is occurring. Right. Um, and I think, I mean, yeah, he's, yeah, he's talking about that inescapable self thing and how you can't, yeah, you can't get out of that. But if you notice that it's true, it gives you the opportunity to kind of, um, you know, attempt to, to move. And I, yeah, he was advocating for all kinds of different, I mean, throughout his work, he's, you know, always changing and you know, he had, I, I don't like, uh, I'm not 100% behind Wilson on a lot of his stuff, but yeah. I think he's one of those rare people that like will change his mind when he's wrong in his writings, which I think is really valuable. Yeah. I don't, I think he sort of engaged this stuff differently than, um, or maybe more closely related to Charles Fort where Charles Fort yeah. was, you know, just taking in like all this anomalous stuff from history like raining fish or you know um you know red sand just falling in in uh siberia or something or and i i think i mean fort ended up i mean well of course he inspired that entire like subculture of fortan uh researchers and which is just like a bunch of i mean and the keel has a has great writing about that in the beginning of uh disneyland um, disneyland of yeah. the gods yeah where they're just like i mean like any subculture it's just a bunch of people that hate each other um yeah which famously ford yeah. wanted no part of the right. 14th society <laughs> yeah which is great and i yeah that's commendable i think i mean yeah if there was like a society named after me I, it would be very tempting to join but um i think he did. He put forth a few like theories, but he he again never like. A lot of it was just about presenting, one after another, these weird things. But he also, you know, um, that there was cycles of history, sort of um, that right. where certain things happened more, and there was uh, that famous quote about you know the universal mind being sane or not right yeah um, yeah i actually have that in the notes yeah. here which is pretty funny yeah i mean he, yeah he has all these uh, he was like a great uh writer of like one-liners i think yeah for yeah. sure if there is a universal mind must it be sane yeah which i think speaks to the whole of his work yeah um he's he's really funny in his writings i mean mm-hmm. i think you'd have to be uh, I think yeah. Robert Anton Wilson sometimes is kind of funny, but... Yeah, he's funny. He's also... He seems, like, very... Uh, he's one of those writers that gets, like, stuck on something that, like, bugs him, and, like, it might not bug you. So it's, like, I don't want to read, like, ten pages about why you hate, like, Gloria Steinem or something. Right. Um, which, you know, I mean, it's his book. Yeah. So, um, you know, you're along for the ride, but... Uh, but I think a lot of these writers do that because it's such a when you're dealing with the unknown or whatever, you kind of have to let your, your gut feeling drive you. And sometimes it takes you to, you know, kind of a place that might be boring for readers, but yeah, it's the cumulative effect. I think that makes books like, you know, uh, I mean, yeah, the one we sort of read for this podcast was Disneyland of the gods. Um, which is later keel. Um, yeah, that's a John keel book. Uh, later in his career um once he's entered a little bit more of a skeptical thing where he's not out on the streets the way he was with like the mothman prophecies because right. uh, during the mothman prophecies he was like really like generating like mythology right like, yeah the stuff that he wrote about and investigated there is like still inspiring uh you know, documentary series and stuff today. Yep. Hardcore in the field. Yeah. You know, interviewing contactees or yeah. witnesses. Um, yeah, I think that Disneyland of the Gods is like has that direct lineage to Fort's stuff, where obviously right. he starts off kind of with a short biography about Fort, and um, and then it's kind of just maintains that idea of an anthology where it's going through the 
sort of a short history of phenomena, I think, where he's right. talking about the pyramids, he's talking about ball lightning, um, and then sort of trying to create his own unified field theory at the end of it, but it's still loose and it's humorous, and I think that kind of gets to the, the point of all this stuff, and I think the reason maybe why we wanted to come together on this podcast is the the aspect of sort of the cosmic trickster I think mm. permeates um, all of this stuff where, yeah. you know, when you're looking closely at it, it's almost like it's morphing around your own consciousness, which might, you know, play into the fact that maybe everybody's just insane. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, or both. I mean, uh, we'll probably talk about it more, but that new series, Hellier, that's been pretty popular right. over the past, uh, I guess, a few years now. Um, I think that does a great job of demonstrating uh how it actually feels to be doing this kind of stuff uh, right but i mean you know we'll save maybe talking about that in depth for later but yeah i think we can do we can do a deeper dive on that because I, I did enjoy it um you obviously have to approach it with um you know a bit of skepticism like anything and there's some parts that are just sort of almost feel ridiculous because it's their, yeah. their own experience of what you know, right. they're calling synchronicity, but you're like, right. I'm not sure. It just kind of seems like it's not, yeah. it's barely a coincidence, you know? Right. I mean, yeah, the, the deepest, most like, uh, worldview changing experiences I've had. If I try and explain it to anybody else, they'll just be like, that doesn't sound like anything. <laughs> right. So it's, um, and that's what makes it so frustrating, but also like, I don't know what the word is, uh, personalized or something. It's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they're, I think they're definitely, I mean, and even in the later season interview, Alan Greenfield, who is another name that, uh, is eternal in this, in this field. Um, and along with Gray Barker and yeah, that sort of, uh, Mothman click, mm -hmm. I guess for lack of a better word. Um, well, the whole thing is kind of, they almost bring it back to Mothman. It's in the area too, right. obviously in the, the Ohio Valley. Yeah. They they mention um, you know the famous injured cold contactee right, story right. with Woodrow Derenberger. Yeah, Derenberger. Um, yeah, so that yeah that whole thing is you know legendary and uh, incredible that it's still so active today, or it's still so uh, you can still dig so much out of it. Like if it's a you know if it's a mine, there's still a lot of gold in in there. I think. Um, so if if we're talking more about uh, Keel today, sort of um, with the Disneyland of the Gods, I think one of the most interesting aspects of this book. Um, side note: I'm not really sure if it's still in print, but it's it's available around. Yeah, um, if if you're looking for it, there's a free version on um, the Internet Archive uh, cool, that can yeah. be taken out digital copy, obviously. But yeah. yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's worth a read. I don't think it's his best book by any means, but I think it's, it's, I think it's a good starting point for understanding where he ended up, uh, for sure. Philosophically. Yeah. 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 If you, if you're not going to, if you, you know, for whatever reason, you don't want to start with the Mothman prophecies. Um, I think this is definitely a great starting point. Um, especially if you don't know too much, you know, about um, sort of this whole world of um, what could be deemed new age or esoteric yeah. or, you know, it's just kind of blanketing this stuff. But yeah, it's a great, great little run through of a, a bunch of different topics. Um, just, you know, talking about the strangeness yeah. of phenomena and the idea of um, these window areas in the world where people are experiencing these things that um, don't really fit into the consensus reality. <laughs> right. I think um, my, my favorite part of, of this book is, uh, it's pretty early in the book, it's when he's talking about uh, the sort of, he uses an example of, I cannot remember either of their names, but inventors and sort of like... Mm -hmm. uh, a history of, a short history of boobery. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the name of the chapter. <laughs> um, but when he gets into the Uri, Uri Geller, Uri Geller, uh, who you know is a famous uh, psychic uh, who like popularized that I like this the spoon bending sort of mm -hmm. thing, which like you know 
ended up everywhere, like in Pokemon and stuff. We have right. the spoon bending. Uh, but so he's like this huge thing. And then he has, you know, James Randi, the sort of uh, arc debunker of the world, sort of following him and almost harassing him uh, or, you know, maybe straight up harassing him throughout his life. Um, and it, it brings to mind this like weird thing where neither of those people are like the point. It's like the fact that both are existing in this weird like uh, dyadic dance where you have like the sort of the prophet and the disbeliever and they sort of sure. push each other in this weird little like orbital dance. I f like I think that's um, and Kiel is so good at coming up with these these uh, like representative images of the way this little world works um, yeah yeah and that's like an idea of these people being dictated by their own reality tunnels right so i think um you know we know from history that science can be weaponized in a way um talking about uh when tesla was built was um developing alternating current and um you know dc was already um heavily invested in right but DC was like this massive, like clunky, huge copper lines and stuff. Yeah. It was just not practical. So, um, like, uh, I think Edison got together with Westinghouse, and that's when mm -hmm. they developed the electric chair. Um, <laughs> yeah. Basically, to be like, well, this is uh, alternating current; it'll kill you, right. you know. And then Tesla started to go. That's when he started touring with the coils and mm -hmm. and just like running it through his body to prove that it was safe. Right. I guess, yeah, as long as it has an outlet, it kind of just goes. Um, yeah, he was crazy. I, yeah, Tesla is one of those figures that, even though he was, like, a mainstream, like, famous person who changed the course of, like, you know, history, uh, the mention of his name kind of, like, puts you in this zone of, like, uh, weirdo sort of fringe stuff. For sure. And I think that's, like, on purpose, you know, to a certain extent. Yeah, and, and like, in talking about this stuff... Um, his name will forever be conjured um, sometimes in horrible ways where people will right. just be like, that's Tesla technology. That's right. Tesla, you know, the Philadelphia experiment. That's Tesla technology. Like, it just gets thrown out there. Yeah. And I think it's important um, to be able to differentiate what you can, you know, truth from fiction involving sure. this figure. An interesting side note, I, you know, there's always the idea of Tesla and... and um, free energy and everybody right. talks yeah, about yeah, that because yeah. that was you know a goal of his was to be able to project energy um analogous to like what wireless internet right you know but then i everybody expounds that idea as like something that was broken down by this conglomeration like jp morgan and stuff mm -hmm. which it yeah. what it definitely was um but at the same time if that had taken effect our world would be so um, inconceivably different right? because I don't think this computer would be able to function if right. electricity was, like, or, um, yeah. atmospheric, yeah, you know? Yeah, we, we don't know if... I mean, yeah, a lot of people make their name in the, in the fringe uh, literary scene talking about uh, free energy, like, zero-point energy, all this sort of anti-gravity stuff, like, all this stuff that was um, sort of... Like, Tesla's work was the ground zero of that. And, I'm yeah, I mean, even the, you know, the uh, Tom DeLong uh, <laughs> To the Stars yeah. Academy, they're, like, all... One of their, like, main points is, like, you know, release free energy information right. to the public. Like, and... Uh, and I mean, as yeah. ridiculous as it sounds, I mean, there's definitely something to that oh, where, totally. you know, yeah. every, I think if you did a poll of most people in the United States, like, I think most people would agree that there's, you know, great amounts of technology that are being oh, kept yeah. secret from us for the purpose of militarizing it, you know? Yeah, or, I mean, I mean, the, like, I guess I'm not a fan of, like, the Occam's razor, I, you know, like, yeah. the simplest, but the simplest explanation for why uh, we don't have free energy is because there's so much money and yeah and uh, sure. oil and you know combustion but right you got to put a meter on it right yeah yeah and, and it takes know. blank 182 to tell us right. this. <laughs> yeah yeah um I, eventually we should probably talk about him too because that's another uh another thing like weird uh where the 
fringy UFO community meets the government. For sure. Through yeah. Bl- Blink-182. Yeah, is weird. ops. Right. For sure. Yeah, it's something. Um, oh, which is, I guess, like, yesterday or the day before the... <laughs> Uh, this is, I mean, it's not funny, but it's the le- leader. I don't know what you call him. The head of MUFON was arrested for soliciting a 13-year-old. Oh, no. So, and this is actually like a weirdly common problem in the UFO field. <laughs> um, Stan Romanek. Yeah, yeah, the, Stan Romanek. Yeah. Um, for listeners who don't know, it'd be <laughs> a funny to look him up. Um, right. He had this this video that was pretty famous a couple of years ago on, on online. And it's, it's like a typical gray looking puppet just pops right. out of a doorway in his house. Um, well, and then looking in through the window. Yeah. Or, yeah. Looking in through the window. Yeah. And it got so much attention, but it's like, I don't know. This thing's so obviously like a Muppet, but <laughs> yeah. it looks pretty, it looks pretty good. It but, looks good. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, but then, and then there was a documentary put out recently where, like, he's kind of, like, saying that this was, like, you know, this was done to undermine him. Um, right. You know, like, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, especially if, like, they're claiming some sort of, like, persecution at the hands of, like, a silencing government. For but sure. I also, like, I don't know. Stan is, you know, that guy, he gives me a weird vibe. So um, It's definitely the easiest way to, you know frame somebody and just like totally you know plant something on their hard drive i think that they i think alex jones was saying they tried to do that to him but (laughs) i don't i don't think they need to do anything like that to him i think he's kind of dug his own grave yeah um yeah that's not a threat to alex jones don't kill me yeah alex jones 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 talk favorite parts about Disneyland of the Gods is um, the short chapter about the Black Knight. Yeah. Um, this is like definitely one of my favorite concepts in sort of the ufology world. Um, the Black Knight is a is a satellite um, that is believed to be extraterrestrial in nature, whether it is just like a large object, you know, orbiting the Earth or you know, whatever else <laughs> you might think it is. But, um, yeah, so it was first detected, I guess, when um, when the Soviets launched, um, what was it? Was the first one Sputnik? I think or? that, yeah, Sputnik. Or it was, it was up there before Sputnik was yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but it was seen um, yeah. closely in orbit to Sputnik when it was up there. Right. This is just like a massive heavenly body. It's like, yeah, I mean, I don't think they ever decided whether or not it was, uh, what it was made of or anything, but like the radio signals were bouncing off of like stuff up there. Yeah. And I think that's what Keel says. Um, it sort of led to the discovery. And I think like maybe 10 years ago, it was very popular again. Mm-hmm. And there was supposed to be a picture of it. Yeah. And I've seen some images yeah, of it. Someone came out and said, like, oh, that's like a blanket that they threw <laughs> out of the. We could uh, we could throw those up on the Instagram. Yeah, what, yeah, like a, like a some special like insulation type thing that came out of the space station. Um, right. And you know, so that might be what that is in the picture. But you know, well before the space station, people were still talking about this. So it's it's not just like a recent like meme hoax kind of thing. It's like this very weird. Uh, yeah, like unexplained object. And it was formally announced by the Department of Defense in 1960. They announced that an unidentified satellite was circling the globe. So that is the Black Knight. And that story, yeah, that that's one that's that's really interesting. I think that's what makes Disneyland of the Gods so great is there's just like 
all these things mentioned in here um right. and it just kind of like breezes through them so it's in the and that's what i love so much about the secret teachings too is the secret teachings is yeah. is more about these historical esoteric texts but you can really just flip through it like an encyclopedia yeah and it it kind of just lead it'll lead you down a rabbit hole to um learn more about these topics and stuff Right. This was before, I mean, well, definitely with Hall, less so with Kiel, but this was before the internet. So they're kind of like these, like, miniature, like, paper uh, forums, kind of, where you can just mm-hmm. sort of go and, like, download files. But they're, yeah, I mean, and they're also, I mean, coming from the book dealer slash collector in me, they're usually... Um, there's some really fun editions of secret teachings to, to yeah. try and collect. They have huge, right. highly illustrated. They're just like very beautifully. Oh uh, yeah. The illustrations book. are incredible. Um, it's a great compilation. Um, even Disneyland of the gods has a very cool cover. <laughs> yeah. Which maybe we'll throw up somewhere on the Instagram or on the page. It's yeah, like, I love that cover. Some kind of collage with all kinds of like monsters. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I'm just flipping through Disneyland right now, this uh, digital copy, and I got to that funny chapter about, um, you know, our dinosaurs, or how extinct our dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. Just, this is this um, 14 thing, which I think this will speak to, um, you know, the skepticism that people have about this stuff, where yeah. you, could, you could read, um, well, the Italian, you know, a, a small faction of the Italian military saw a dinosaur... Um, and they followed it and attacked it. Yeah. And it's like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, I like when Kiel does this sometimes, but other people put forward this sort of magical, uh, or something interpretation where these sorts of things that m- appear to be like anomalous flesh and blood beings are actually like you know, physical manifestations of something more like some sort of entity that's like a spirit. Like, right. Like, uh, this guy, uh, Joshua Cutchin, uh, along with someone else, put out a book recently uh, about like the Bigfoot mythos sure. and how it's not the, like, his more, he feels it's more plausible that Bigfoot is some sort of like forest spirit as opposed to like a. Right. A hidden species of. Um, so you're p- saying that the people in Pennsylvania, going out there with rifles, might have the wrong idea. Right. I think that it's been shown that, or like, there's a lot of reports that, like, if you shoot the Bigfoot, it, the bullet will go through it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So I mean, and of course, there's like the Bigfoot is from the Pleiades, like all this, like, yeah. like the Bigfoot alien connection, which you know. Yeah. yeah. Big. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna have to do bunch of bigfoot stuff yeah because um, it's so it's so popular you it's, know like yeah, and it's, it's so weird too like, yeah yeah the strangeness with it is is really funny um there's also like a lot of people who say that you know you see a bigfoot and then you see a uh orb in the sky or something right. like so there's this yeah. connection yeah i like the idea that it's like you know i forget where i heard this but it's like you know man's uh search for like him his primitive self when right. he gets into the woods because he's just like feels so disconnected right. you know yeah or it's yeah some weird version of like the Jungian shadow yeah like exactly you find his thought guess, form yeah yeah he projects the bigfoot because he lacks the bigfoot in himself <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's great i mean yeah i love that kind of stuff yeah but i mean i think like with this podcast we want to talk about um specific cases like i don't i don't think we want to be like well here's an episode about the philadelphia experiment you yeah. know because it's too it's too big there's like right that's huge way too much to this stuff and you know something like bigfoot is like we're gonna do a bigfoot episode i mean you wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't be able to contain that in like 10 hours you know because no. it's just there's i think we want to concentrate on you know smaller accounts like singular yeah. Uh, voices talking about this stuff and, and these really like niche yeah you know experiences I think getting guests eventually too would be good um we'll have to figure out how to do that but, <laughs> yeah but yeah we'll definitely that's definitely something because um, there's so many people out there to. that and you know I can think of 
you know, dozens of people that, you know, might have something to say in this uh, general sphere of thought. I think another thing I wrote down here about the Keel book that I love is um, uh, the, the uh, living lights. Oh, you yeah. Know, which, um, it's like the Marfa lights in Texas and stuff. Right. The idea of, like, a UFO or a sort of orb, um, people being in specific spots, whether you might call this a window area, yeah. um, being able to... Uh, not manifest or conjure, but sort of bring these things down by like yeah. focusing your consciousness on it. And um, this is like what um, Stephen Greer does, where he like right. takes people yeah, out people into the out desert, there. gets Man. them together. I mean, that would be f- fun to do because like yeah. this is something where I'm sure if, if people are listening to this who lean a lot more on the skeptical side of this stuff, um, and I, I kind of do too, where you know, I'm super interested in all this stuff, but it, you have to take it with a grain of salt. And it's yeah, totally. It's hard to believe other people's experience of this experiences of this nature. Yeah. You want to experience it for yourself. I think something like that. Just you want to see that undeniable thing. You know. Right. I think m- my approach to it is kind of, um, and it has been for a long time, uh, like believing more or less universally and everything everybody says yeah while at the same time uh believing nothing (laughs) right uh believing nothing at all and having this almost like nihilistic (laughs) attitude but the other side usually wins you know in the end but having both of those sort of like at the same time is really important because you'll go insane or you'll just like stop looking into it because you get bored of like denying everything that's my approach Mm -hmm. is having these two uh, maybe it's not healthy, but it's it's it helps to. Uh, I think it's yeah. it's probably the healthiest. That's, you know, going back to Robert Anton Wilson. I think that's mm. what I like so much about Cosmic Trigger. Yeah, is where he's having these experiences, much like what Philip K. Dick experienced. Where right. Philip yeah. K. Dick, you know, was convinced he was blasted by some intergalactic intelligence. Right. Um, experiencing things like xenoglossy, where he's like now knowing languages that he didn't know previously and you know knew all this he was convinced that he was um being contacted by like early gnostic writers and stuff right where um robert anton wilson experienced something similar but i think he approached it where he's like i I don't know what this is like i don't i don't really believe this is what it's telling me it is you know right i think an interesting an interesting thing about that is that i think Philip K. Dick was, I mean, I don't think that his belief in those things or his experiences are what proved this, but I think he was definitely somewhere in the schizotypal range. Mm-hmm. And so I think he was just more given to um, accepting or, like, uh, engaging with these things, whereas Wilson seemed way more in control of his... I don't know, like, yeah. I mean, that's almost like a false dichotomy, but like that he was, I guess, just more naturally skeptical and, um, like saner, I guess. Right. I, uh, he just like, and you know, whether or not, you know, both things have their, uh, uses, which is also sort of how I like, how I like to approach it. Yeah. A little bit of both of those dudes. Um, and there's, there's a great book, uh, recently published called, uh, High Weirdness um, by Eric Davis, uh, and that's pretty. It's mostly a study of Philip K. Dick, Robert Anton Wilson, and Terence McKenna mm-hmm. um, as like sort of three representative voices of, you know, this current of thought uh, during the 1970s. It's like a book about how people kind of forget about the 70s uh, when they're talking about counterculture and weirdness. People right. will think about like the they'll think about the sixties and like all of that. And then they'll think about like the uh, abduction type stuff from the, from the eighties, but that there's like this very powerful, yeah, that, that, uh, Trinity of, uh, Dick Wilson and McKenna. Yeah. That'd be great. Uh, something great to, you know, visit in an episode yeah. too. Uh, obviously we'd have to talk about Terrence McKenna. Right. I think one of the misconceptions with McKenna, a lot of people, you know, 
just focus on um, the psychonaut aspect of uh, experimentation with psychoactive psychoactive substances, right. and yeah. obviously his brother, the botanist. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when you listen to Terence McKenna speak, like he's a wealth of historical information too. Totally. There's a there's a great thing online um, where he's talking about the history of hermeticism, yeah. the hermetic doctrine, and sort of the misconceptions about how it's dated and stuff. Right. Yeah, he's great for for that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, people definitely look at him as like the mushroom guy. Mm-hmm. But yeah. <laughs> and, and that would be totally great. I mean. Yeah. But he's or like. Was he ever? I don't know if he ever got into like the DMT thing. I think he didn't he. Well, or is that somebody else? There's ayahuasca ayahuasca stuff with yeah. him. Um, oh right, because he went on that that trip. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. No, he's a he was a really great uh, like scholar of religions almost um, yeah. in that way. Hermeticism should get its you know at least an episode. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I wrote that in the. Um, the, the notes for further episodes where I definitely wanted to talk about um, the Emerald Tablet and um, yeah. the Hermetic Doctrine. So I think that's sort of one of those cloudy things where, again, like the Tesla technology, it's just this yeah. thing that's sort of brought up in a right. lot, of, like a lot of books are just going to bring this stuff up as a touchstone, but it, it right. isn't really like contextualizing it properly. Totally. I think another thing that happened was and it like no one will tell you this, but like there's the the Kybalion, the Kybalion, mm-hmm. which is just not a Hermetic text at all. It right. Was, like written by like William uh, Walker Atkinson. Yeah, Atkinson. Yeah. Like, and it's part of like the whole New Thought thing. And I think it's a great and valuable text for yeah. what it is. A channel text. Yeah, but it's like not. It's not Hermetic. It's it's not even like, the the basic like tenets it proposes aren't really even like the same thing. So it's. I think a lot of people get confused and think of like, and I certainly did when I was first getting into it. Like I got a copy of the Cabellion. I was like, Oh shit, this is like an ancient, right. like, but it's like, it was <laughs> written, written by, by the like, three initiates. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was just like some dude who is an important spiritual figure for sure. With yeah. all, he has like all these pseudonyms and stuff, but it's not, you know, it wasn't written by like, uh, Hermes Trismegistus. Right. Like, or like some scribe, like, or yeah. it was like, and I mean, getting into channeled texts is also a good idea because that's like one of my favorite subcultures within this is just like the probably hundreds of people who just like write under like really goofy ass names. And right. Like, but sometimes like put forward this like really profound writing. Yeah. So it's like that's like another thing where the really like kitschy and campy stuff coexists with like the profound, which is what I like so much about uh Keel too, uh, Keel, and not so much Manly P. Hall. He's pretty straightforward and yeah. serious, but definitely Robert Anton Wilson and Keel. Oh yeah, super goofy. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a healthy way to deal with this stuff. For sure. I mean, it's mm-hmm. that's that's that cosmic trickster ap- aspect, right. which is also yeah. funny. Yeah. Um, but I th- the the importance of Manly is that like th- this literally is the secret teachings. Like it's kind yeah. of amazing that this book exists because all this stuff you think would have been lost to history. Um, it's been, you know, kept literally secret for so long, but it's all in this, in this one text. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's like if he did nothing else and he published like, I don't know, like a hundred other books besides that one. So some of them are just excerpted from that book and republished, Mm -hmm. but he published a lot of stuff and that's like a, you know, a, a really important work because I don't know if the stuff would have been lost completely because he did get it from like you know libraries but it would not have been publicly available in in any like serious way so yeah he's like a sort of a channel in his own in his own right but more uh, uh, with intention he kind of did it on purpose right
so something interesting to just mention is you know there's going to be a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about that we ourselves are going to consider as snake oil you know mm. we're going to probably think that it's bullshit um because this whole there is an industry of of this um field of information that is just people just selling stuff you know right, people sure. selling ideas people like david wilcox hope you're listening <laughs> who say <laughs> that they're like edgar casey reincarnate right and are just constantly shifting um their ideas to whatever is going to sell products documentaries totally. whatever it is yeah he's i think he's a really <laughs> he's a good example i mean i don't know the guy personally but <laughs> yeah we don't know you I think that the, yeah, the above Majestic, um, and that whole, what is the name of their show? They have, like, a show, uh, with, uh, Corey Good, like, sort of, like... Uh, I don't even know. We got, we all look yeah. more into that for, yeah. uh, our contactee episode. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's all very goofy. Um, yeah, but there's definitely going to be so much of this stuff where... It is ridiculous, and I think it's it's useful to examine that stuff too. Definitely. Um, in terms of like just the invention of it uh, yeah. alone, and uh, and I mean, uh, using them again as an example, it's like it's so compelling because it takes so many threads and like gives it a trajectory where those threads might not really be related, and it's kind of like the perennial fault of the conspiracy theorist type thinker to like try and find this like this way to comb all these things together yeah ideology yeah there just like might not be a connection between you know you thinking that like people have been to mars and the fact that like you know there are missing people like those things might not be connected Mm -hmm. um they might be but uh yeah, presenting it as like a final answer is, I mean, so far at least in history, always wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe someone will have the right answer, but not yet, I don't think. Yeah. That's the thing I also love about the sort of like contacty channeling thing. Mm. Is these people um, get these sort of doctrines and then they put it out right. there and then it just falls flat on its back. And then sure. it's like, well, and then they're. Um, point of contact whatever entity or yeah. intelligence they were communicating with just vanishes <laughs> it's right. like oops or there's a like an excuse um, yeah and an explanation or like oh it actually did happen you just didn't notice it like well you know the 2012 is like a huge example oh my of god like, yeah so many people were ready to you know jump off a cliff into a portal or something <laughs> but yeah and i mean it's just because you know one thing didn't happen. I think it doesn't, um, it doesn't make the whole thing not interesting, you know, because the 2012 subject, especially McKenna's involvement in terms of like reaching a point of novelty, I think is really interesting, you know, and also, um, you know, the, the Mayan aspect, you know, philosophically to engage that is also interesting. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and you know, to say that, a certain cycle ended or didn't end uh, doesn't necessarily involve cataclysm. I mean, we very well might have ended like a certain cycle of, you know, civilizational development. Uh, Here in 2020, it certainly feels like something is wrong. (laughs) So like, um, it's a manifestation of the Western world's guilt for itself. Probably. (laughs) It's like, yeah. The end of a cycle. Well, yeah. This whole thing's got to get washed away. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It does. It does feel a little, a little guilty, uh, thinking that. Yeah. There's some. There's something, psychoanalytical in that whole, uh, fear of the apocalypse thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Eschatology. Yeah. It's definitely gonna have to be something that we talk about. Yeah. Um. Because I think the world is just fascinated by that. I think. I think humans are just fascinated by that. I think it, it coincides with just like our form of consciousness, you know, yeah. um, and fear projection. Yeah. Uh, funny anecdote, like in terms of the selling stuff and snake oil aspect, have you, have you been to like a UFO convention? 
I have not been to a UFO convention. I've been to several New Age, uh, New Age like, I don't know what you'd call them, where people kind of have booths, right, yeah. uh, and sell stuff or are advertising their particular brand of healing, like healing or salvation or truth. Um, I have been to the Roswell Museum, which is sort of a little convention in itself. Yeah. Um, I, re- I remember, I think it was like two years ago now, me and a couple of friends, it was like, you know, noon on a Friday, and there was a UFO convention all weekend in Cherry Hill oh. at, <laughs> at a hotel. <laughs> and we went, and um, man, it was funny. Um, what's, um, what's Fire in the Sky's name? Travis Walton. Yeah, Travis yeah. Walton spoke. Which Travis Walton, you know, I was, was, I think that was kind of the reason why I wanted to go was I wanted to hear him speak, and then there was a whole cast of characters. Yeah. Otherwise, um, but it was hilarious. the The audience just seemed like they were tapping out. You know, <laughs> there were some very enthusiastic people over the age of sixty. Yeah. Up front, and then the, you know there were some. Uh, stragglers raising hands in the back yeah. <laughs> asking like hilarious questions <laughs> but uh yeah so we're there and i think for some reason we might have just been the most like i, I don't i don't want to say like normal or sane or whatever because i think <laughs> that's just like saying a lot or saying a little <laughs> yeah but i think for whatever reason we stood out so some guy came up to us and he's like do you guys want to come up to the press conference upstairs and we're like, well, sure, we're here. Why not? So yeah. we go up into this like smaller hotel room, and it's a panel with like David Pilates, the oh, missing four one one. That dude. He's the one I can remember. Uh, there wow. was like four other people, but the audience was like seven people. Yeah. You know, up there, and I and there was more cameras than people. Yeah. I think they just like needed some bodies to like right. film, and then they could just kind of like posture it would probably yeah. looked like there was a whole crowd of people surrounding this press conference right and it was just so funny watching this panel and these people just like attacking the mic so ready to like get their <laughs> piece out yeah you know so yeah. that you would visit their booth after right. <laughs> it was a really funny experience i would love to go back i yeah i love that kind of thing even if it's uh kind of like embarrassing um yeah yeah the david polites i I have very mixed feelings about him. He's very, from what I've, in my, in my sort of experience, you know, looking into his stuff and watching his films and looking through a few of his books, he's very uh, proprietary, which always makes me, like, uh, it's very, like, uh, I don't, like, the word would be, like, like he's ready to lo- to lawsuit up. <laughs> he's very, yeah, lawyer up. He's ready to, like, uh, he's litigious, I guess. Yeah. Litigious, you know. He, uh, we're talking about people's uh, names here, you know. We're talking about people. This is like people's careers and yeah. livelihoods. So, you That's know, true. talking about, like, the science community and, um, you know, or, like, the materialist community and sort of accepting things that don't fit into their, you know, conventional wisdom. Well, then <laughs> there's this yeah. whole, like, indoctrination of the ufology crowd where it's, right. like, creating your own ideology and marketing it selling it right yeah it, it's yeah whenever i feel like someone's marketing something or when i feel like the end of the conversation is that i have to buy something yeah uh i don't trust that person whether or not what they're saying is true or valuable it kind of undermines the whole thing uh anyway we're gonna have some t-shirts up soon <laughs> no, uh just kidding but I, I, yeah i think there's something there i but i do think the work he's doing is valuable but there's like some cognitive dissonance or something there where like yeah like i don't know paying for information or something. I, well yeah i guess i mean that's fine too because people have to make a living it's it's a complicated uh for sure thing yeah i do i think that we can circle back to you know the four people that we talked about today yeah and Fort, you know, whatever, Fort was, was trying to make a living and then I think became obsessed in right. in the basement of the New York Public Library. But um, Right, and I guess he wasn't, he thought the book wasn't doing that well, even though he had all those, like, amazing, uh, like, writers behind him. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he, like, so he was getting sad. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's familiar to me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think with Keel, you know, and Robert Anton Wilson especially, I think, 
you know, you can trust what they're saying because they're telling you, you know, there is no um, formal ideology here. We're just talking yeah. about, like, experiences. We're talking about language. We're trying to, like, decipher this stuff the best we can and, and give it right. to you. And then you do with it what you will. Because yeah. I think in Keel's case, he would be like, I don't know what the fuck we're talking about here. Right. Especially... Um Towards the end, I mean, of, yeah. of his life, he almost, he, like, you know, maybe there are UFO type things. They, yeah. Like, things Ultra happen for sure, but, like, I don't actually know, like, yeah, I have no confidence. And a lot of it was made up, and the hoaxers themselves are, like, part of this. So it's, like, it's really cool. Uh, he, like, yeah, where he ended up was a very interesting, like, mix of skepticism and like meta skepticism where like mm-hmm. he he thinks that the fact that some of these things are made up like somehow plays into the reality of it yeah um, that aspect is so interesting we didn't yeah. even talk about uh, men in black right the men in black thing yeah i mean they'll come up yeah this uh, is just yeah. a, an intro a long introduction probably now right, but yeah. <laughs> we're definitely going to talk a bunch more about keel especially because i think he is probably um Probably the most inspiring force in, in this field, I think, where... Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's dissolving a, a lot of it into, um, you know, a nice consensus on reality. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we could wrap up there. Um, we're going to be back next week. Um, I think we're going to be talking about the early contactee movement. Yeah. Uh, Adamski. Um, and maybe tracing the line of that. Uh, up to what a contactee looks like today. Um, yeah. Yep. And for now, we'll be on SoundCloud. We'll be on YouTube. Um, hope to get up on iTunes. I think that process takes a couple weeks. Yeah, it um, takes some time. Please do follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, and follow our SoundCloud and YouTube accounts if yeah. you have those. Um, there's a link tree that is linked on our Twitter and um, on our Instagram as well. Thanks for listening. Um, We'll see you next time. See you.